lot of celebrities, you know, Al Pacino, Lorraine Bracco, Diane Keaton, Ellen Burstyn, they were all my clients hmm. that I was doing. And he revolutionized the whole beauty industry and introduced color shampoo. Make a long story short, I was his first million dollar distributor out of all 36 distributors. L'Oreal came along, this was after 12 years, and offered him millions of dollars for the company. Go on your bed, Joe. Get. Go on your bed. Go on your bed, Joe. Joey's trying to be famous. So, um, I tried to explain a little about the concept of what it was and kind of wanted to, maybe we can start off and you can just tell the people who might not know you, your name, kind of what you're doing right now in life. Okay. My name is Andrew Torrieri. I now reside in Louisville, North Carolina. Originally born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Through my life, I've been through many ventures. Yep. Starting out as a young guy, I was one of nine brothers and sisters, raised with no father. So basically, my four sisters raised me and my brothers and sisters. Starting out working, I started working at 12 years old. Next door to my house was a radiator and glass shop. And I used to hang around there like the little runt. And then finally, I got hired. But my, my original job was running back and forth, getting coffee yeah. and donuts and stuff for the, the people there. But eventually, I started working in a glass shop and in the radio shop. And in the radio shop, I had my responsibility was grinding the tanks of the radiators. And then in the glass shop, I had to vacuum all the cars out from the broken glass. And so basically, you know, I wasn't an installer, but I was like a cleanup type of guy. And you're 12 years old at this point. I was 12 years old. Was that like a normal thing back then for, in like Brooklyn to have, you know, kids running around the shop and doing stuff? And... Because yeah. there are all kind of rules now, right? You can't do well, that now. Well, you know, I said I was born and raised in Brooklyn, but we moved to New Jersey. Yeah. And this uh, house was next door to the glass shop that oh, okay. was in New Jersey. All right. But basically, you know, uh, we had no money. And uh, so we had jobs like paper out or we prayed that it snowed because we'd go out there and shovel snow and yeah. we'd make some good money shoveling snow. So anything that we could do as far as bringing... Uh, Coke bottles back for deposit. Back yeah. then, it was five cents if you returned yeah. it. Uh, so any way we can make money, that's the way we did. But growing up was a really great experience for me. Uh, uh, I didn't do very well in school, but uh, I had a bunch of really good friends. And my one best friend, Jimmy Shanley, is still my friend to this day. Almost 60-something years. I met him when I was seven years old. And we went through a lot of different ventures in our lives. I was also a, a Boy Scout. Yeah. And I learned a lot in uh, scouting that uh, sticked with me through the rest of my life. So getting through high school, I finally graduated. And uh, so give me, give me like, what's your, what was your. Uh your aesthetic in high school? Because I know you showed me some pictures of maybe after high school where you got some slick back hair and you got the leather jacket. What was like the high school like? 
Well, our high school was pretty good. I mean, there was 3,000 people in our high school. It was yeah. a regional high school. So back then, you know, you had different classes of people. You would have what we called rah-rahs. They were the intelligent Jewish uh, kids. Mm -hmm. And then you had my type of guys where we were leather jacket, the hood type guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Going through high school, we, we never had any issues. I mean, everybody stayed to themselves. It was a really good upbringing. It was clean. If you had a fight, it wasn't with a knife or a gun. Yeah. It was with your fist. <laughs> and then it was over with. Yeah. You know? Uh, graduated high school in 1968. My draft number was 32. Uh, during that time, it was the Vietnam War. And so uh, me and my friend Jimmy Shanley went down and enlisted in the Marine Corps. And unfortunately, we wanted to go in on the buddy system, but unfortunately, Jimmy, uh, you know, he had trouble with his eye, so they didn't accept him. Went to Paris Island, went to boot camp, came home for 30 days, and then went straight to Vietnam. In Vietnam, which was a horror, uh, you know, you really realized and really appreciated your country. Yeah. To see how other people, because I was never anywhere. I never got on a plane. My first time on the plane was in the service. So when you when you were first enlisting, I mean, you're you're pretty much like still a kid at that point, right? Like you're seventeen. You're seventeen. You're young. I mean, like what? No father figure at that point. Like what? Why? Why go into the military in the first place? Right. I mean, it well, was it, was group, it everyone? We were very patriotic. Mm -hmm. We were very, you know, pro-American, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, uh, we were raised pretty respectful and clean. My mother really did a great job. And my mother, you know, she she had three jobs. Yeah. You know, she always worked hard. And, but she taught us to be very respectful, especially of older people. And, and we loved our country. And, you know, some people went to Canada, some people protest, and uh, we would, I didn't want to go that way. So... Uh, Went off to Vietnam and spent uh, 18 months there. Wow. I actually spent the year, and then I extended uh, four months, and I got an eight-month early out out of the service. And then I came home and uh, started working for different jobs. Uh, I went back to the radiator and glass place and gave me a job, and I, I was working there. And then from there... I left and I started in retail business. I can pretty sell, pretty much sell anything. Yeah. And I, I was in and I worked for a, a clothing store where I sold men's suits. And then from there, I left that now that I was in the retail business and I went to work for a shoe company, which was called Tom McCann, which was a very big brand back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I stayed with them probably for three or four years became a manager, I ran a store, uh, you know, I'm pretty good with people, I'm pretty good giving instructions, I'm pretty good at showing up at work yeah. every day. It's a different world then, I yeah. mean, people worked, people earned their money, people got educated at home from their families because they always had, unlike me, they had father figures, you know, they had a mother and a father and, and you know, education starts at home. Mm -hmm. And then all of my friends, they were in the hair business. 
and I used to hang out in the salon on Saturdays and everything, and they, they grew their hair long, and there was women all over the place, and looking like they had a great time, good yeah. time, and uh, and at that time, it was like the disco era also, you know, the 70s, yeah. the early 70s, so uh, at 27, I went to beauty school, hmm. and uh, I got my license and I started working in a salon. I went to work for some pretty progressive salons where, you know, you come out of school and it's like, you know, you come out of medical school, you, you don't start operating, you have to do an internship. Right, right. Same thing with uh, hairdressers. I mean, you have to go and shampoo hair and assist people before you get the opportunity to become, you know, a stylist, yeah. top stylist. And they train you and they do pretty good. So, but that was like a, I mean, I feel like it depends where you are, but that was like a cool thing to do, right? All your friends are there. Oh, it's yeah. like a, you know, guy's thing to do, but like, I guess depend, I've never really been in, the, I, I guess I've seen more of the barbershop side of things, but you were in like high tier salons, right? Yeah. Very high progressive salons right. that, you know, people went to. Mm -hmm. really meant. And at that time, it was just breaking into unisex. Mm -hmm. It was starting to integrate from uh, barbershop to beauty salon, yeah, full service salon. You know, I mean, men didn't go to beauty salons. Yeah, they went to barbershops. You know, so that whole unisex thing was a big movement at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I was working in a salon in uh, Fort Lee. Uh, northern part of New Jersey, and it was a pretty progressive uh, salon. Fort Lee is a very high influential area. A lot of money, a lot of wealth, a lot of people that, you know, it's right across from New York City. Mm -hmm. the Hudson River divides you. And uh, I was working there for about a year, and I befriended one of the top stylists there. His name was Peter Benvenuto. He was a phenomenal guy from Italy. Very, very talented, very, uh, you know, uh, you can't do both. You can't be a business person on that end and be very artistic. And he was very artistic and very talented, but he had no business skills. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I was business orientated because I had run, already ran a shoe store. I was a management, so I knew about management and I knew yeah. about handling people. He just wanted to create. Right. And he came to me one day and he says, listen, uh, would you think about going into a partnership with me? You know, I said, no problem. You know, so we went ahead and we got a loan and we built a salon. The first name of the salon was Zozima. And that was in uh, Angle Cliffs, which is right next to Fort Lee. Very high end area. And we had a great partnership for 10 years. So you guys both, you went into that. I mean, you were probably, what, early 30s at that point? Uh, I was actually uh 29 years old okay so and did you did did he go into that saying you know i've got my own client roster and you had the same and yes. you kind of just pulled he it all a together tremendous and, following yeah and i had a following and then we also were able to get a couple other people with their followings mm -hmm. that were good friends of ours right and uh we had a good 10-year run but you know he was the type of guy where he wanted to come to work do his job and go home me, I was always thinking about where am I going to be 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm here, I'm making good money, I'm in the salon, but 10 years from now, you know, you're going get, to get older. And so, and, and I want to get involved with more artistically 
doing shows and having a design team and he he didn't want that yeah so i hooked up with another person who was very wasn't business orientated but very influential in the hair business and had all the connections with magazine work and stuff like that so i uh, left this partner and i started another partnership with this uh guy his name was james uh, now James was a little bit on the wild side because basically you know I was a straight guy I got up I went to work every day just like Peter and we worked every day and you know even if we went out and partied at night we still went and did our clients the next yeah, day yeah. James he would go and he wouldn't come to work <laughs> the next day because he was out partying all night and, yeah. but I was very straight laced but we kept it together and we made a lot of connections and we did a lot of magazine work did a, uh, I, a lot of celebrities, you know, Al Pacino, Lorraine Bracco, Diane Keaton, Ellen Burstyn. They were all my clients hmm. that I was doing. How'd you end up, I mean, like, those are some big names, right? Like, tip, how'd you end up even with the introductions to those people? How'd they find out about you? Well, uh, the first client that I did, see, along that area there in the tri-state area, right across from New York City, uh, along the Hudson River, there's a, a place called Sneed's Landing, and a lot of these uh, actors, they live there. Mm-hmm. Okay, they live in these, kind of, like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. They're all from the Bronx, and, and they live in that area. And uh, uh, I, I was specializing at that time only in color. I took my, you know, my art in a different direction where I became just a color specialist. Because up in New York, in the tri-state area, it's departmentalized. So you have hair colorists, you have chemical people that do chemicals, and then you have hair cutters. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, in the South where they do everything, right. hair color, haircut, whatever. So uh, Ellen Burstyn was recommended, you know, you know, to come to me and get her hair color. So she was the first one I did. <laughs> and next door from Ellen Burstyn lived Lorraine Bracco. You know who Lorraine Bracco is. And uh, from Lorraine Bracco... I then got Diane Keaton, and Diane Keaton was living with Al Pacino at the time. Wow. Okay, and then I started doing Al's hair, okay? <laughs> I used to go to his house, but uh, I, 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 I did. So, so that's how you pick up on celebrities. You, 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 know, you, you get recommendations, and, yeah. and, and, uh, and the work was there. I mean, you have to do the work. You have to, ha- you have to give them the quality work. So... Uh, we had the salon, we were doing good, and we started our design team. We started doing shows, and we sh- started doing magazine work. Modern Salon, Vogue, Mademoiselle, all the editorials, and we started putting our name out there. In the interim, I befriended a person uh, who probably was the guru of hair color worldwide, a guy by the name of Leland Hirsch. And uh, he had this one event where he would bring all the world colorists together at the Fountain Blue Hotel in, 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 uh, Miami, in Miami. Okay. Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami. We'd take over the whole hotel with all hairdressers. <laughs> and he'd bring in big names, Paul Mitchell, uh, Videl Sassoon, uh, you know, all the top peep colorists. And he'd have this big event for like four or five days. So uh, I want to get involved with him because I saw where he was going. Right. And I saw where I was going with James. It was like another 10 years. Where am I going to, you know, right. am I going to be cutting, coloring hair 
at 65 or 70 years old or am I going to move on and make good moves so that I don't have to mm -hmm. stay in the occupation when you're older? Which happens to a lot of people because they get, you know, hairdressers, they don't have basically no 401ks. They don't have any retirement programs unless they set them up individually or by themselves. Yeah, I guess that's that's one other question I had. I mean, like some people I feel like are, are dreamers right there. I always want the next thing. I'm never satisfied with what I have, but I I have the, the far reach goal just because I want to keep you know dreaming but for you it almost felt like it was more i wonder what was driving that like was it you you said i want to be where do i want to be in 10 years what was it i, I always I want wanted to be secure. Be secure. Well, i want to my success is if you hang around winners you become a winner yeah you hang around losers you become a loser so when i used to have these people that were very successful in the salon i would like Latch on. Plug into yeah, them. Yeah. How did you the stock market or how did you do this or how do you make an investment or where are you going like that? Mm -hmm. So now getting back to Leland, you know, having this big event and he was the man actually, the guru of hair color. He developed many products for Clairol, Clairol mm -hmm. Logics and everything. He was, he's a genius. So uh, I call him up and, and I didn't know the guy, you know, I knew of him. He knew basically, I guess, of me. And I call him up and I say, hey, Leland, you know, I'd really like to get involved and come down to this event. He said, well, come on down, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess he gets a lot of calls and stuff. And this is a true story. So I got a plane ticket when they were having the event. I flew down to Miami, and I was looking for Leland. And he said, oh, he's out by the pool area, right? So I went out to the pool area, and who's sitting over there was Videl Sassoon, Leslie Blanchard, Leland Hurst, and Jesse Briggs, his partner. <laughs> I walk right up, I go, hi, I'm Andrew Torrieri, and I'm here to do whatever you need to be done. <laughs> After that, hit it off. Yeah. Before you know it, I was involved in the event. I was on the board uh, at Hair Color USA. If it needed to be done, they would give it to me. I would take care of it. And, you know, we created a great relationship. And, uh, you know, he turned out to be best man in my wedding and godfather to my daughter. Wow. And uh, so now we're still doing the salon thing. And, and uh, he uh, was in the middle of inventing a niche product where actually it revolutionized the whole beauty industry. And it was Artec, it meant art and technology, where he took a surfactant and incorporated with color pigment and he revolutionized the whole beauty industry and introduced color shampoo so now he's doing this and and i was involved with him i started doing shows for him on the weekends mm -hmm. and actually i was the voice of our tech and i'd go do all the major trade shows introducing his product in chicago and la New York City, all the all the international beauty shows. And you're still running your salons on at the same time. Well, at time. that time, I told my partner, I said, "Listen, you take care of the salon. I'm going to go and give this a shot. Mm -hmm. If it works, it'd be great for both of us." But you know, my partner, he didn't. You know, he was too think about. I'd call the salon. He wouldn't be there. He'd be partying and everything. So at that time, I said, "I think we should get a divorce." Yeah. You know. And uh, and then I was talking with Leland, and I said, you know, I'd be interested in distributing this product, you know? And uh, 
he liked my energy, he liked my focus, he liked what I was doing. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you the state of New Jersey, which is probably one of the best. The tri-state area is one of the best market for hair. And you already knew it. Right? You knew I the whole thing. It. I yeah. sleep the diet, right? So now I'm doing shows on the weekend for him. And I'm also getting in my car in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning with product in the thing, and I'm hitting salons mm-hmm. selling Artec <laughs> Colors Collection, which was pretty good because, you know, uh, salons, you walk into a salon, they don't need another shampoo. Yeah. You know what I mean? But a niche product, a product that is going to benefit their services, where it's going to maintain hair color. Right. Not change anything. No it basically just keeps what they did intact for longer, right? So, make a long story short, I, you know, I probably put 300,000 miles on my car. I used to get up 5 o'clock in the morning, drive to Philadelphia or something, and me being a hairdresser and had a good background and people knew of me, I was able to get in there and talk to the owners and sell the product into the salons. I literally opened up 400 salons by myself. A salons. I'm not talking about B, you know, this yeah, A, yeah, B, top tier, C. Yeah. All your top tier salons in Philadelphia, in, in Fort Lee, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, all over, right? So we're still doing a great run. We're having a good thing. And uh, he then says, you know what? I'm going to give you New York. So now I'm starting a sales force. Now, I never did anything in the distribution business. What did I know about the distribution? But to sell, I could sell. Right. And I knew the product well. And me being out there, going to Chicago, going to L.A., what I would do is I'd stay a couple extra days, and I'd go to the owner of the distributor, a seasoned distributor, and say, can I stay a couple of days and see how you run your operation? Mm -hmm. And I'd go into their office, and I'd go into the warehouse, and I'd go and talk to the salespeople, and I'd see how their structure was, and how they ran their distributorships. And I did that with every different distributor. Mm -hmm. And that was why I was able to execute my distributorship, which was Artec Systems of New, New Jersey and New York. Okay. Make a long story short, I was his first million dollar distributor out of all 36 distributors. So he had he had a line of products that he was basically doing he the had, same thing, He had right? the Artec Colors Collection, which was 12 different color pigmented shampoos, and then he had a Kiwi shampoo and a Kiwi conditioner. Okay. So the the SKUs, the stock keeping units weren't a lot. Right. Now, I had advantages because my salespeople, they only focused on one thing. Other distributors, they're multi-line. So where they have Artec, they're going to have L'Oreal, they're going to have Matrix. So what do their salespeople really sell? The stuff that's on special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't sell the complete line. Yeah. So I became his first million-dollar distributorship, and we had a great run. I mean, you know, we... Uh, revolutionized the whole beauty industry. He then got a European partner, and I went to Europe, and I introduced the product line to Europe. Also, I went to Australia. We had distributors in Australia. So make a long story short, L'Oreal came along, this was after 12 years, and offered him millions of dollars for the company. So what did he do? He sold. So when you were, I mean, you got, you were partnered for, with him for a while, but like, what is that 
what does a partnership like that look like, right? He, I'm assuming he owns the IP well, he's a for C, his... He's a CFO. He is Artex Systems, mm-hmm. period. I am one of his distributors. Mm-hmm. So I am not his partner as far as partner... But you're so you're uh, more com- commission based type I'm deal. I'm a distributorship from him, right? Which is a good thing because I was single line, and when he made the deal with L'Oreal, he made the deal for me. They had to mm-hmm. buy me out, right? So, so but how do you? I mean, if you're not a partner, how do you? Do you like have equity in that product line? Do you, oh yeah. Okay, oh, so yeah. you you get a piece yeah. of when of, a company uh, acquisitions another company, they have to take care of their distributors mm-hmm. because uh you know now the multi-line distributors he had no loyalty to them it was me because that was my total livelihood right okay and i was more like family and uh and you were also bringing in a lot of money and you know i built i put the company on the map actually right. Right. I was the voice of Artec and right. I did all the shows and you know i was the main when he needed some when he needed the, when the distributors used to send their salespeople to me to ride with me to see how I was doing it. Right. So I was training their people when I was working my my area. So you had, I mean, you you basically yourself built out 400 top tier customers, right? At some point, and then like I'm sure you grew oh, from no, there. that was that was the first. That was yeah. That was, that was just year. you. But then, and then you built up built up a sales team, and I mean, do you know before L'Oreal like what your what kind of revenue you were bringing in for like the company, and with just your team? Well, I've, if if uh, if you're a million dollar distributor, I bought a million dollars worth of product. Mm-hmm. I was the first one. Right. I mean, you know, and I was doing this out of my garage of my house. I didn't have a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Later on. I got a warehouse, and then I had a training center, and I took everything to the next level. But uh, as a startup distributorship, what I did was incredible. Yeah, well, because I don't know how that, how that the distributing business works. Do you have to front any money for the product, or does he basically? You have to buy the. You have thirty days to pay for the product. Okay, all right. In other words, and and your percentage is forty three percent of the profit. Right. Okay. So that that's how that works. Oh. Wow. And, uh, you know. Puts the pressure on you to make sure you sell through, right? Well, you have to sell. Right. You know, and I was out there every day pounding, selling, doing what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now this whole, the beauty industry is totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with all buying online and stuff. So uh, his insight of seeing where distributorships were going made him sell the company at yeah. that time and cash in. Right. You know. And, and uh, L'Oreal is, you know, they're probably the largest company in the world. They own Matrix and they own Clairol and they own, they bought Artec and, you know, yeah. they buy them all. Yeah. You know, Redken, they bought Redken out. Yeah, because L'O- so L'Oreal is a public company, so I'm assuming, like, I could probably find out the details of his acquisition, right, online. Like, they, they have, I'm sure they've done this a oh, bunch yeah. of times, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. so it's like, did, did you it was continue... basically They were basically buying the company... Because we were big time competition. Okay, so they just wanted to not have to worry about you. Correct. But you didn't continue to work for L'Oreal after. No. Okay. No, no, I was done. Yeah. And uh, and then you know through this whole thing, uh, other companies tried to copy what Leland did. Yeah. Because it was so successful. Right. Paul Mitchell came out with their uh, 
color shampoo. L'Oreal came out with their color. Aveda came out with their, but they didn't perfect it like him. Yeah. Because it was like having the Coca-Cola formula. Yeah. There's only one Coke. Right. You know, so there's only one Artec. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it was the perfect combination, right? He made the perfect product, and then he had you that was just, like, willing to sell the whole, you know, like, dedicated to dedicated, just selling that product. passionate yeah. people. Right. That's crazy. I was the voice. Yeah. Of our tech. And after that, uh, 2002, uh, we sold out, and uh, I went ahead and did some consulting for some distributorships. You know, as the dust fell. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was it. And in between that, I had gotten married and I had two children. And I thought it was time for us to move out of the tri-state area. Yeah. And I wanted to find a good place where I could raise my daughters and give them good education. And I came to North Carolina and this has been the best place uh, yeah. that yeah. I made the move. Now, when I came here... Of course, I had the funds to buy because I, I, I did very well right. selling my company. And uh, when I came here, there was a barn, and I was saying to myself, you know, I gotta, I'm a pretty active guy. I got to do something, you know. And uh, when I was a kid, in between like 10 and 11 years old, up to 12, uh, my brother was a horse trainer and driver uh, for the racetracks, and I used to spend time up at the the racetracks during the summer so I knew somewhat about horses but I said you know what I can I can do this I can build it maybe I'll do a boarding barn you know my motto was if you build it they will come and I built it yeah and they came now what did I know about boarding or horses or dressage nothing mm-hmm. all right so what I did was the same thing I did with our tech I did my research so I grabbed one of the trainers and I said, I want you to take me to all the barns and see how they run their route. So I went and said, how much board they were getting, where they got their supplies, how they ran their company, and then I implemented it in 4T. Mm-hmm. And the way I came up with the 4T name is, is the four Torrieris. Yeah. And the rest is history. <laughs> been very it's been non-stop for 16 years here yeah that i mean like after the l'oreal deal I, you probably didn't have to work ever no. again right i mean you no. were you it's life life-changing money for you and your family yeah. which is great but most people would you'd think would want to be on a beach somewhere sipping my ties and hanging out but i don't think your personality would allow you to do that for more than a, well a week. first of all i got <laughs> married at 45 yeah and then i had two daughters yeah and they were young you know and i wanted to have a better life than what i had and i believed that they needed a mother and they needed, needed a father you know mm-hmm. and moving them down here my two daughters have graduated top colleges they're very successful young ladies I think me and my wife, we did a great job. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I love being here. I mean, look at me. You know, what am I going to do? Sit around, like you said. Yeah. I mean, that's not my, you know, uh, I was 52 years old when I sold my company, which was right. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, being in the right place at the right time and having the energy. Yeah. So if you want to do something, even this, this is very, this takes a lot of effort here. You know, I'm up at five o'clock in the morning. I'm always out there. I'm always micromanaging things and I have a vision where 
I built my facility. Yeah. You know, and I keep building, you know. Yeah, I mean, you have, I feel like you have that innate drive, right? That that ability to, to just keep going and keep doing and keep building. And, you know, I, I, and I don't want to be hung up on, on the on the L'Oreal deal too much, but it is, it is something that, like, I want to spend some time on because it, nowadays everyone wants to get rich quick. It want you want I want to invent the next Facebook and then I sell it. I want to create this thing and then you know license it and not have to worry about money ever again. But like, was that ever in your the back of your mind that you guys were going to sell this company and then you'd never have to work again? I mean, when you were I mean you were working for years, right? It wasn't like you it just happened overnight. Well, he had the insight to see where the whole industry was going. Yeah. Which was important. Okay. And to do what we did at that time was incredible. If we would have did it 10 years earlier, like when Paul Mitchell started out, the company would have been worth even mega. We wouldn't even have, he probably wouldn't even sold. He would have made, he would have been much more of a millionaire before the fact of selling, mm -hmm. okay? So he had everything on the line with the company, building the company, credit-wise, credit and the company's name was there, but he didn't have the funds. So if you, if you have a company that's very successful 10, 15 years, and you've already made the millions, okay? Then when you sell it and then you get more money, Okay, so that is a different yeah. thing going on. And today it's very difficult. Like I said, the whole, the whole way that the world is run is online. Mm -hmm. Amazon. They're taking over everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, even shopping malls. Uh, eventually there's not going to be any shopping malls. For what? Yeah. Nobody goes to the malls right. anymore. Where before that, everybody did their shopping in the town that they lived there was a shoe store in that town. There was a clothing store in that town. Mm -hmm. You did everything within the town. But then when the malls came out, where did everybody start going? To the mall. So what happened to the businesses in the towns? They either go out of business or they move to the mall. <laughs> so now it's the same thing. You've yeah. integrated from multimedia. Is that what it is? Mm. Uh, online. Yeah. Everything is done online. Everything is done on the computer. Everything is shipped right to your house. Yeah. So eventually... There's not going to be any malls. For what? So that whole distribution network that you built, I mean, there, I'm assuming there's some of that still, but that, that whole model is essentially Well, gone, you see, right? my clients that I built, whatever my client base was, 10,000 clients or whatever, when you sell your company, those customer rights go to L'Oreal's distributors. Mm-hmm. You see? So it gets divvied so up within So Artec their... was given to their distributors now right. that are multi-line. Okay? I was single line. Mm -hmm. So what did I have to sell? One product. Right. So, I mean. <laughs> so so your, your clients were no longer able to get your product anymore? Through the other distributor. Not from me. But they continue to sell that same product. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it wasn't like L'Oreal bought and, it and then and, shelved it. And then because... There was a lot of education involved in color shampoo, and we'd get the education. Uh, their sales wasn't as great as my sales, mm -hmm. or single-line distributors, Artec. So basically, L'Oreal 
you know, cannibalized the whole, yeah. got rid of, phased it out and just kept maybe a couple of stock keeping units like the Kiwi shampoo, which was yeah. easy sells. Right. Right. And that's what it is. I mean, <laughs> they have that much money. They can do that. They can go and buy a company and close it down. Don't have to worry about you anymore, right? The competition is no that's longer. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what they're, you know. That's crazy. If a company, if you, if you acquisition a company and it does great, you keep it. Yeah. If it doesn't, what do you do? Get rid of it. They don't need you it. You don't need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've already got the money. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. So, so yeah, that, that, I mean, that was like, that was the majority of your career, right? That, that trajectory basically from, from working in the salons to running salons to owning salons to, to working in more of the distribution side of product. And, and then that's how you. Since age, age 30, I've been an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, I could actually say not, uh, before I've always been in management. If you start me in the clothing store and the shoe business, and then I, I went into hair and, and I brought that with me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's a learning step. Well, you always learn every single day. Yeah. You know, I always say no guts, no glory, no dreams, no future. Yeah. I mean, and you, this is also what I'm curious about. You, you basically, it's not like you had some teacher that was like, this is what you need to do next or, or a parent that was like, this is what I did and you can emulate my footprint, my blueprint. Right. right? And you, you basically just I had a figured it, it together, out, figured found out a person, you know, tagged along, whatever it was. Well, I, the distributorships. Yeah. I mean, these were seasoned distributorships that were successful. So what is your commission rate to your people? Well, how do you pack your boxes? Mm-hmm. What do you pack your boxes with? Where do you get this from? Where do you get, you know, yeah. the whole nine yards, yeah. you know? So I got structure from other seasoned distributors, but I had to put it together. Yeah. And then I had to implement it. And I was relentless. Yeah. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> my drive and my energy, I mean, you know. Yeah. And I still have that today. Yeah. And you see it. You know, I'm out there every day, 365 days a week. Yeah. You know, rain, snow, whatever it is. Because when you're out there and they see you're out there, that motivates them. And you must first motivate yourself before you can motivate anybody else. True. That is true. <laughs> so you've been living here. I've been here. around, you you've know. Been, you've, been, you've been living here and working at a functioning barn. And most people probably don't even know what this is. But it's basically, how many stall barn? How many stalls? 37. 37 stalls. And typically you're pretty maxed out as far as how many horses you can have here. What a waiting list. Right. So... You 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 are running a successful barn business and home and you know you live right here and raising my children raising your for children and I mean support everything. Sixteen yeah. years is a is a chunk of a normal career, you know. Yeah, that is, is. That's and this is just something you're doing on the. I mean, essentially successfully, is, successfully making. I mean, I think I you think know, like, from what I hear, I'm I'm like the almost the number one boarding barn. Yeah. in the area yeah and i'm in a good area i'm in forsyth county yeah you know I, i'm always full uh since i've been here i know of nine barns that have closed down mm-hmm. why because what happens is uh uh these older barns the uh the parents still die off or give up and the kids don't want it right. they don't have the energy or drive they it's a lot of they, work they, they, yeah you know it's a lot of work yeah and you just can't you know, you have to invest. I invested a lot of money into this place, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, after a while, you reap the benefits, but, you know, it takes time. It takes time. Yeah. You can't choke it. 
Right. You have to keep sinking things in. You have to keep upgrading. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love people. I love having people around. Yeah. And uh, yeah. do you think it? You think it keeps you young, like having this? Absolutely. I mean, this just everything. Just non-stop keep moving. Get, social yeah. interaction and. Yeah. 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 You have to it keeps your mind fresh. Yeah. You know, my body is breaking down somewhat, but you know, I keep moving. I, yeah. You know, I, uh, I'm used to, you know, pain. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, like I said, you got to motivate yourself before you motivate anybody else. Mm-hmm. That's the golden rule. You know, it's like I used to tell my people: if if a person walks in to the office with negativity, the first thing they're going to do is try and grab you to make you negative. Mm-hmm. But if you come off to them and you're a positive, what's going to happen to the negative? You're going to shut it down. Yeah. Okay. And that's that's the attitude that you have to have. You got to be happy. You got to smile. You know, everybody has different personalities and everybody has different energy levels. So if I'm operating at my 100%, it could be somebody else's like 60. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm I'm going at 120. So what are they, you know, and you have to realize the person that you're dealing with. And you got to respect the people that work for you, too. Mm-hmm. You've got to treat them with respect, you know. And I expect respect. If I get disrespected, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm done. Yeah. So. Do you but, ever think that. Um, but I'm living the dream. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that some people could probably look at your life from the outside without really knowing you and be envious be jealous be this is what i want i want like if i could if i could own this barn if i could live on this barn for the rest of my life i'd be the happiest man in the world that kind of thing right like do you ever just kind of sit back and you think wow like life has been life has been pretty good god is great from being from being raised with nine siblings very lucky you know what i mean right but i've always had the energy and i've always had the attitude that if you want something you go after it for it and you could have it yeah. You have to work for it. There's no easy way about anything. Like these kids, oh, I want to make a million dollars. I want to do this. I want to do that. That's, yeah. If that happens, that's some luck. Yeah. Okay. And, you know. And that's, I mean, that's part of the reason that I'm doing this project in the first place is like, you, you, no one knows, right? No one knows how, how hard you have to work or what you have to do to get what you right what you have and and someone someone might say oh andrew's a millionaire and you know well he just lucked out or you know someone he his business partner sold a, their big company and now he's got all this money and it's like well no like you have to work to get, to get into to that, that position I had to get, you know like you i had to get in with him right like that first day walking up to him he yeah. must have said wow no, no one would do that, right? That's yeah. that's like a, I want, that's a uh, yeah, that's I a ballsy mean, move in the first place. Whatever I gotta yeah. do, I yeah. mean, I don't care what I have to do, I'll do yeah. it. But I want to be, I, w- I want to earn it, and I want to be successful. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I have that drive every day. You know, and uh, you make mistakes along the way, but that's how you learn. You know, but you gotta have the desire, you gotta have the guts, and you gotta want it. Yeah. Okay. And nobody can take it away from you. Have you have you ever looked forward to retiring? Not really. Yeah. Not really. The the more people that I talk to about retirement, the uh, the people who look forward to sitting on the beach drinking mai tais were the ones that typically, at least from what I've seen, really didn't like what they did. They didn't enjoy their careers as much. It was sort of a means to an end and you know, 
I mean, I don't know if you were necessarily passionate about beauty and hair products, but it seems like from the business side, you really enjoyed that. You know, yeah, and, like, I, and I could sell anything. I mean, right. I really enjoyed it. I it could mean, have yeah. been, it could have been anything, right? Yeah, and if you like what you're doing, that's that's the biggest part of it. Yeah, you know, if I didn't want to do this, I wouldn't do this mm-hmm. at all. You know, and it's just evolved to the next level here. It's gotten great. We met a lot, meet a lot of people here. My wife's met a lot of people. My mm-hmm. a lot of connections, a lot of good people. It's a good area too. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I lucked out getting where I am right now. You know. Yeah. No, it's a cool story. It's a cool like uh, trajectory. I feel like it's not a normal, normal path, and it's not like it's not like you're in high school and someone's like, oh yeah, you could you could go become a, a hair and beauty product distributor. Right? That's not even like an option that people would e- that you would ever know about unless you just either fall into it or someone tells you that you can go do that. You know. You know, uh, it took a while to get where I am. It just didn't happen overnight. Mm. I had those stepping stones and I had the insight from my first partner, which was a really great guy, still my friend, but he that's he's still behind a chair cutting hair. <laughs> but that's what he wanted to do, right? That's what he and that's, that's what he wanted to do. I had to realize that, you know, and go to the next level. Mm-hmm. Okay, level, my next level and the next level. Yeah. And then this is my last level here. Yeah. It's amazing. Hmm. Only in America Pretty much. You know? I mean, God. Yeah. But you gotta work. You gotta you do keep have at to work. it. Yeah. And you know what? If 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 it doesn't work, then you try something else. You don't give up. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. So that that's uh you know, people today when uh, when they start something, they don't know when to ter- throw the talent. And say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going any further. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to drop that and move to the next. And that, in a sense, is what I did with my first partner. I went to the second partner. Okay? But I still stood in there, even though he was a wacko. You know, I still stood in there and I ran the business correctly and did what I had to do. Then when Artec came along, that was basically an out to get out of the, behind the chair. And I'm going to give this a shot. Mm-hmm. You know? And and he lost out because I could have taken him along for the ride too, you know, with the Artec. Yeah, yeah. So and he's still cutting hair behind the chair. Right. You know, and I'm I've been retired since how many years now? Twenty twenty two over what is that, twenty years? And I've trained a lot of people. I still have some of my peers, some guys that worked for me that called me up and thanked me for, you know, the energy I had and sharing yeah. them and their success is because of me and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I get that all the time. Yeah. You know? But No, it's definitely uh it's a, like a You want it bad it. enough, you can get it. You just have to think it out, figure it out, you know, if it doesn't work, go move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Uh moving forward, I know right now everything is, is very high tech. Everything is technical. Everything is computerized. Yeah. Everything is so you have to be there, which the younger generation is. Mm-hmm. But are they willing? You know, I think the younger generation thinks that it's owed to them. Yeah, that they shouldn't have to work for it. It should be given to them, and that's the wrong attitude. Mm-hmm. Well, they just won't get it. They just, uh, like, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like eventually they'll learn that, right? 
either learn the hard way or the easy way. Yeah, yeah. But no, I appreciate you sitting down with me and chatting through this, and it's very cool. I, I and who knows if I was an educated person in a sense, school-wise. Yeah. If I really was a dedicated type of person, I could have been, who knows, a senator or something. I don't know. <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, with my skills that I was taught, you know, just regular high school and then military. I mean, I, discipline, yes, a Boy Scout, but to think, you know, if I would have really had someone on top of me to get a ed good education, yeah. like, oh, I did with my daughters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I was a straight D student. I tell everybody that, you mm -hmm. know? I'm not ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. I'm a, um, a hands-on street person. Yeah. I tell my daughters all the time, you know, see those guys you're going to school with? I used to get my lunch money from them. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. It was survival. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> Is what it is. Yeah. But I'm here today. Thank God. Beautiful <laughs> wife. Two beautiful children. Educated. Yeah. Paradise. Yeah. Over here. I mean, look at it. I mean, look what I've created. I have people coming out here and enjoying my facility, bringing their dogs, running the, whatever. I mean, it's, yeah. where, where can you find something like that? You yeah, know? It's people's home away from I don't home. have the attitude with, nah, I don't want you walking on a property with a dog. Go ahead, have fun, you know, yeah. enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's definitely, a, it's like a little paradise. Yeah, you know, I love people. Little gem, never, people, I, most people probably have, don't know it exists. But believe me, like, I have some really great people out here. Yeah. You know, very knowledgeable, educational, pe good people. Mm -hmm. And I like that, yeah. you know? I mean, look, you're looking outside the thing here. Look, two horses going by. I mean, <laughs> come on. <I> mean. <laughs> yeah. So um, the way I've been trying to, to kind of wrap these conversations up and the way that I'm planning on continuing to meet new people and hear more stories is by asking, you know, is there anyone in throughout your whole journey, your life that you think I would be interested in meeting and talking to kind of in the same format? Someone that you might look up to, someone that, you know, maybe have mentored you in the past or, or you think has, has some has a cool story or anything like that. You don't necessarily have to answer now. We can always we can always sync up yeah, later. Yeah, I can think about that. Yeah, I'm, you know, I think most people typically have like one or two people they're like they kinda admired throughout their, their careers and All right, I'll but, think about yeah, that. Yeah, we can we can get back together and Good. chat through it. But Well it's been great. No, I appreciate it. You finally got the interview. I finally got the interview. I appreciate the time and it's a, it's a it's always it's always interesting to hear just cuz like I know my story and I think people just don't people don't know, right? Like everyone like you always make these assumptions about So you walk in somebody else's shoes. Right? You just don't you don't know. And this you was only know. and this conversation was only like a very small piece of probably everything that you'd been through and you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's I feel like this is sort of that was my goal. Yeah, right? I left out sleeping in the car and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, it's it's you know, is what it is. We didn't have much growing up, but mm -hmm. we had a lot of love. Yeah, you know, and that was important. Family, yeah. absolutely. All right, but all right, Andrew. Well, let me close this thing down. See if my uh, my other half left me here. Which she might have.